Well, it's good to be in your midst once again. And as I look out over the audience, I sense that I, I think I know the church here good enough yet to know that there's quite a number of visitors in our midst, quite a number of churches rep represented, and I don't know who all you represent, but I think the message that I have to preach this morning, you can go home and apply that to your own individual uh, congregation, your own life. I think it's an important message, practical message. <clears throat> it's how that you relate to your leaders in the church, your ministry. One of the reasons that I kind of felt that I should preach this is because it's a message that none of your ministers are going to preach here. I'm not going to preach this at our home church. But I think we all need to hear it from time to time. How do we respect our leaders? How do we relate to them? Well, first, you know, it is an important subject because how we relate to our, how you as parents relate to your ministers, your children are going to pick that up. Your, your attitudes toward your ministers, those things will go on, and you don't know how far that will reach. First of all, I have a few, <clears throat> few verses, though, directed to, to the leaders here and to us as ministers. You know, we have a great responsibility. In uh, 1 Peter chapter 5, we just read a few verses. There's quite a number of passages in the Bible we could talk to, but I'm just going to read a few. You know, in order to, for, to expect the congregation to respect and honor the leaders, we have to be worthy of it. We have to do our part. And there's a, it's a great responsibility. In 1 Peter chapter 5, it says, The elders which are among you I exhort, who also am an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also the partakers of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not of a filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but as being in samples to the flock. You know, we have a responsibility not to, not to think that we have some extra authority or power and dictate and lord it over a congregation. That is not what a minister is to do. But it says in this passage, we are to be as shepherds. And what does a shepherd do? A shepherd cares for his flock, and he looks out for the good of the flock. That is our responsibility. Also in uh, Acts chapter 20, just a few verses, there's the account where Paul is once, probably for the last time, meeting with the Ephesian elders, and this is a few of the verses or the words that he tells them, Acts 20, 28. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock, over the which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he has purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. So it says there that as leaders, you know, what we're, we have to do, what we should do, take heed, and look out for the good of the church. 
But the, uh, like I said, the main part of the message, I want to focus on what, what your responsibility is to your leaders here and, and uh, talk about that this morning. <clears throat> the text verse is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Verse uh, 12 and 13. Just going to have a small text here and try to look at a few of these verses. Now we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. You know, we just read over that verse real quick, those verses, and think, well, you know, what's in there? And go on with life. Well, let's this morning just stop a little bit and take a closer look at what it says here. It's, it's talking to the brethren. To know those which labor among you. What does that mean? We're going to take the time to just look at a few of these words. What does it mean to know those that are labor among you and that are over you. You know, if, is there any place in the scripture we could turn to to help us to understand what that might mean? What does it mean to know them? Well, you know, you know their names. You know who they're, how many children they have. You know the names of their wives. You know how they live. But that's, does that mean that you know them? Is that what it means? Hardly. What does it mean to know your ministers? I thought about that, and there was this verse that came to my mind here some time ago. Remember back the account where Stephen was preaching and uh, in Acts 7, and somewhere in the, in the course of his message there, talking to the Jews, and he goes through the historic account of the, what happened there, and the uh, Israelites, they were down in Egypt now, and it says, and there rose up another king which knew not Joseph. That is also mentioned back in Exodus that there arose up a new king later in history that didn't know Joseph. Well, that would imply that at one point there was a king that didn't know Joseph. We can learn a few things from that account. What does it mean there when it says that he, the, the king that knew Joseph. We could entitle the message that, the king that knew Joseph. We want to look at that passage in Genesis chapter 41 and take a few lessons from that. There is a correlation between that phrase, I believe, where we have or that, uh, that truth there that there was a king that, knew, that didn't know Joseph and what it would mean for you to know your ministry. Genesis 41, it's quite a lengthy account. I'm going to just pick, and we know the account well, so I'm going to just pick out a few verses here as we go along. Here's the account now, and Joseph is, he's been put in prison unjustly, and he's been there for, we don't know, at least a number of years. And here the day comes from when Pharaoh has this dream. And we come down to about verse 9. I'll just start reading in Genesis 41, 9. Then spake the chief butler unto Pharaoh, saying, I do remember my faults this day. 
Pharaoh was wroth with his servant and put me in a ward and the captain of the guard's house, both me and the chief baker, and we dreamed the dream in one night. I and he and we dreamed each man according to the interpretation of his dream. And there was there with us a young man, an Hebrew servant, to the captain of the guard. And we told him, and he interpreted to us our dreams. To each man according to his dream, he did interpret. And it came to pass as he interpreted to us, so it was. Me he restored to mine office, and he he hanged. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they brought him hastily out of the dungeon, and he shaved himself and changed his garment and came into unto Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, I have dreamed a dream, and there is none that can interpret it. And I have heard say of thee that thou canst interpret a dream, can understand a dream to interpret it. And Joseph answered Pharaoh, saying, It is not in me. God shall give Pharaoh an answer of peace. Now this is the king that did know Joseph. Did he really know him at this point? No. He knew that he was a young man. He knew that he was a Hebrew servant. He knew that he was in the dungeon. He knew his name, because it says Pharaoh called, sent and called Joseph. But he really didn't know him. He just knew a few things about him at this point. But he's going to get to know him. Let's uh, read on here. Well, then it goes from verse 17 through 24, that this here account where he tells him the dream. But let's jump down to verse 25. And Joseph said unto Pharaoh, The dream of Pharaoh is one. He has showed Pharaoh... what he is about to do. Well, for the sake of time, I wonder if we know that story. He dreams there, and uh, let's drop down for the sake of time and verse 34. Let Pharaoh do this. Let him appoint officers over the land and take up the fifth part of the land of Egypt in the seven plenteous years. And let them gather all the food in those good years that come and lay up corn under the hand of Pharaoh. And let them keep food in the cities and that food shall be for stored to the land against the seven years of famine, which shall be in the land of Egypt, that the land perish not through the famine. And the thing was good in the eyes of Pharaoh. And in the eyes of all his servants, and Pharaoh said unto his servants, Can we find such a one as this, a man in whom the Spirit of God is? And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, For as much as God has showed thee all this, there is none so discreet and wise as thou art. Thou shalt be over my house, and according to thy word shall all my people be ruled. Only in the throne will I be greater than thou. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, See, I have set thee over all the house of Egypt. And Pharaoh took off his ring from his hand and put it upon Joseph's hand and arrayed him in vestures of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. And he made him to ride in the second chariot which he had. And they cried before him, Bow the knee. And he made him ruler of all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without thee shall no man lift up his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Saphnathphenes. And he gave him a to wife, Hathanath, the daughter of Potiphera, prince of On. And Joseph went out over all the land of Egypt. 
Think with me. Now, I've read that passage, and what is happening here? We, if, we, if we think of all that, that is happening here, first, there was no relationship at all then. He didn't even know who Joseph was. Someone brought his attention. There's this young man that can interpret dreams that has a different God back in prison. And so he makes contact. A relationship is starting to develop, and as this story goes on, and we read that there is a growing relationship. There's a good relationship between Joseph and Pharaoh. There is communication there. Numerous times it says, like in verse 25, and Joseph said unto Pharaoh, and in verse uh, 39, numerous verses, it's in 41, I think, and Pharaoh said unto Joseph. So they, there was dialogue. They communicated with each other. That's, that was part of the king knowing Joseph. They had confidence in the Pharaoh had confidence in Joseph. It says in verse 38, can we find such an one as this man? And he was sure that what he said or what the advice that he gave was good advice. He had confidence in him. He knew that his interpretation was accurate. Pharaoh was open to for advice and counsel. And he acted upon it. Pharaoh respected and honored Joseph. That's quite clear. It's in verse 40. Just a few verses that bring this out. That there was respect and honor. Thou shalt be over my house. Verse 41. See I have set thee over all the land of Egypt. And in verse 43. He made him to ride in his second chariot. And he cried bow the knee. Now I know we don't have. We're going to make some applications, and we don't expect the laity to bow down the knee to the ministry. Just that, That's not what I'm saying. But there is, this, there is still a respect and honor here. There's also this thing that because of that respect and honor that he had and the fact that he didn't know Joseph, he freely gave him some things. He gave him, well, he gave him... Uh, a ring off of his hand. He gave him <clears throat> goodly vestures. Gave him a wife. Freely give. Did anyone tell him he had to do that? No. Just out of the goodness of his heart he did it. He was thankful. He was appreciative. He changed his name. In verse 45 it says. Uh, yeah that's a verse that talks about his name. Big long name that's hard to pronounce. But the, the, the name means uh, a sustainer of life, a savior. He changed his name to mean that, or in my own words, that, you know, he's grateful that here someone came along that was going to save him. He was a savior. So there was appreciation expressed. Now I'm going to just put these here, seven things, in reverse and put them in question form. Here was a man. We have the story of the, the king that didn't know Joseph. How does that relate to you, where it says back in Thessalonians that you are to know those that are over you, those that lead out, those that are your ministers, in my own words? We could put it in this way. 
Is there a relationship between you and your ministry, like it was between Joseph and Pharaoh? Is there any kind, is there a good relationship there? Is there a growing relationship? Is there a communication? Is there a communication? There was lots of communication and more and more as time went on between Joseph and this Pharaoh. What about you? Do you communicate with your ministers? Do you talk with them? Do you have confidence in your ministry? Can you be at rest? Joseph here, I'm at Pharaoh. He had total confidence in Joseph. We get asked the question, do I gladly accept and follow advice of the ministry? Am I glad for their counsel? Pharaoh was, he was delighted that there was somebody here that showed him what to do for their good. This was all for the good of the people. Do I think highly of my ministers? Do I respect and honor them? That's, just, that's what happened here in the account of Joseph. Pharaoh, he thought highly of Joseph. I mean, so highly that he made him almost, well, he made him a ruler next to himself. Do I value my ministers enough that I'm willing to give or to make some sacrifice? We'll probably talk about that a little later. In light of all that they do for you. Am I truly grateful and appreciative for the ministry that God has placed over me? For that, in Hebrew 13, we have that verse for they watch for your souls. You know, as I think about that story of the king that didn't know Joseph, there are so many parallels in that story about that we can relate to as we think about the, the, uh, of how that make application to the ministry in the local church, or is there not? Certainly is. Well, let's just keep on going here, and uh, we're going to run out of time. Back to this verse here. We beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor. Labor. Mean ministers labor? What does that word mean? Well, it feel, if you, you can look this up for yourself in Strong's Concordians. It says to feel fatigue or to work hard, to get tired. The reducing of strength, you know, to wear out. It's the same word as we have in John 4, 6, where it says, And Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey. Ministers get weary. Now, I'm not saying that in a, just to try to say something so that you pity your ministers and to be negative about it, but I'll be honest with you. Being in a ministry can be weary. And your ministers could give testimony to that. That there are things that, where it talks about laboring, where has the idea of being, you know, a workout or being tired. And uh, sometimes the demands are heavy. We have the account in, remember that account in uh, Exodus chapter 17 where the enemy came in, and by the way, 
Did you know that your ministers are a special target for the enemy? Right? And uh, here we, I think there's probably a spiritual application in this account. We have the account where, who was it in this case? The Amalekites came and the enemy came in and they were going to attack and they tried to attack the, the uh, children of Israel. And Moses and Aaron and Hur were up there in the mountain and as long as the leader was holding up his hands, things went well, but he got tired. Like your ministers will. What we can get out of that is there anyone that is willing to come alongside and lift up their arms? That's, I think that's the lesson we should get out of that. That we are willing to come alongside and to hold up the arms of your leaders when they are weary. Now we'll just read verse 8 through verse 13 there. And when Amalek and fought with Israel in Rephidim, and Moses said unto Joshua, Choose us out men to go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. And Joshua did as Moses had said unto him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And it came to pass when Moses held up his hands that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. Why do you think he let down his hand? Why didn't he just keep it up there? He got tired, that's why. But Moses' hands were heavy, and they took a stone and put it under his him, and he sat thereon, and Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands, and the one on the one side and the other on the other, and his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And then it says they got the victory. Did you know that there's a correlation between that you as a congregation can have part in defeating the enemy, right? And that is by lifting up their hands, being there for them. If there's no one there, the enemy's going to get the victory. Mom, this is what the Bible says. This isn't me. There's another verse that says in this is now maybe a little bit different angle. In Ecclesiastes 12, 12, we have this verse that much studies the weariness of the flesh. Do you think when your ministers stand up here, this just happens? They just get up here and they start preaching. Is that how it is? I hope not. Well, you know, let's not forget that your ministers probably send, spend hours, who knows how long, getting ready to preach According to my Bible, and the way I find it, much study can be a weariness of the flesh. Sometimes it'd be a whole lot easier just to go out and work. In fact, for me, studying is harder work than working. Your ministers going to get weary. There's a sense of preparation. Preparation is work. Preparation can is can be wearying. I'm, you know, I can come through as if that is all negative about being. That's not the case. But just so you understand, I'm trying to help you to understand that that your ministers things don't just happen. You don't just come up here and you preach off the top of your head. Some people do. Maybe some people can. There is time that needs to be spent in studying in prayer. 
Are you willing as a congregation to, to invest a little bit of time considering the fact that your, how much time your ministers spend in study and preparation for them? Think about these passages. Uh, well, I could ask this question. I guess you understand that there is a connection between your prayers and even the message, or what will be the outcome of the effectiveness of your minister's messages and how they, of their ministry. You can have a part in it. Paul says in Colossians 4, 3, with all, with all praying also for us. Why did he say that? Well, he needed it. 2 Thessalonians 5, 25, brethren, pray for us. That was in 1 Thessalonians in 2 Thessalonians 3, 1, finally, brethren, pray for us. Hebrews 13, 18, pray for us. Why? Because preachers need it. Ministers need that. You know, I've already been studying where... Do you ever study and you seem like you don't get anywhere? You just spend a lot of time, but after a bit, you're not any further than you were. And it just seemed like nothing is coming together. And all at once, I've often wondered if somebody maybe was praying somewhere. What about a note of appreciation, encouragement? I'm not trying to, to be here and, I mean, the, your ministers didn't put me up to this message. I'm not trying to, you know, say you just have to load them up with cards or anything, but I'm just saying don't underestimate a bit of encouragement or what that might do. Just a few in this, this whole area of labor. Well, one other thing that you can do, be a solid, stable member. That's probably, you know, be there. Make sure that you can be counted on. That is probably the most encouraging thing that you can do for your ministry. Be there. There is also this verse in uh, 2 Corinthians 11, verse 23, just to bring out no, not 23, verse 28. Paul is, this is the place where Paul is giving a whole list of things that he went through, the pearls of all the things. And then he comes down there and he says in verse 27, in weariness, yeah, he was weary, he got tired. And he goes on and it says, besides those things that are without, those which come as upon me daily, the care of all the churches. Care of all the churches daily. Paul, according to that verse, as a minister, as a leader, can identify with that. Can you not? There is a weight of responsibility that is put upon your leaders or that they carry daily, looking out for your good. And you can't shake that off.
There it says it very clearly. Besides those things that are without those, that which comes upon me daily, the care of all the church. To be responsible for people is a weighty matter, is it not? And so that is, it's on your mind all the time. There's an accountability. We must give an account. The Amplified says, there is the daily inescapable pressure of my care and anxiety for all the church. Few of the other translations kind of have this thing, a daily pressure. If you are a committed, supportive member, you are a means of lightening the load. I want to encourage that. You know, you have no idea what that can do to your ministry, to be a, just to be a supportive, mem committed member. On the other hand, if there is opposition, there is, there is resistance, if there is challenging and working against, that, that can just increase the load immensely. Stand by them. Let's go on here uh, in this here verse. Where are we at here in this text verse? Know them which labor among you. Among you. They're just like the rest of us. A minister is not anyone special. A minister is just like all the rest, just human. We make mistakes. We might use our, your leaders might... They'll, I'm sure they use their best judgment, but in spite of it all, they make mistakes. They're human. They're just, when it says among us, it's not like they're, they become divine all at once at an ordination and you become infallible. Not at all. We're still human. Consider that. Be considerate of your ministry. If they do make mistakes... They're just like the rest, you know, just all like all the rest of us. We make mistakes, each one of us, no matter how good or how well we try. What about the next phrase there? It says, uh, they're over you in the Lord and admonish you. There are times when admonition needs to be, or there's maybe there's issues or things that come up, situations or something that needs some attention. That, that admonition simply means to call to attention, to call to mind, to caution, to give warning, to gently rebuke. What if, a, what if something comes up in the congregation or in your life in need that you need to be approached? How do you respond? Do you uh, quietly receive it as from the Lord and benefit thereby? Or do you quickly go and find somebody that you can, you know, share with or vent your feelings and frustrations? Which response do you think God will bless? There's a few verses in the Bible that talk about that, and it's pretty clear which one God will bless. We have verses like, you know, if, 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 if someone is approached because they have a need, we should be teachable. We should be easy to be approached. What does it say in James 3, 17? 
But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated. Easy to be entreated, compliant, not resistant. Where, what for spirit? If, if there is reaction, there is resistance, there is in that passage of scripture, you can study for yourself and discover where that comes from. It's clear. If you are approached by one of your ministers, your leaders, because of a need, accept it and learn thereby and respond properly. You're the one that's going to be blessed. It says further there, and esteem them very highly in love. Esteem them. Well, what does that mean? Very highly. Esteem, to, con- to deem or consider. It's the idea of value and respect. But it says, highly? No, it goes even further and it says very highly. Huh. Whatever for. Are they that special that you should consider them? Well, you know what that means? There are other, so- sometimes it's interesting to study words in the Bible. Here it says very highly, but you could take that verse, or that was that word, and find other words that have the same meaning that are translated different in in other passages, but it has the same meaning. It doesn't always, not in every other verse where it has that meaning, does it say very highly. Listen to this. It says uh, a few other thoughts, or it has the the idea when it says highly, you know, of uh, superabundance or superior or in excess. Verses that bring out this thought are, like in Ephesians, now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly. The same idea as very highly, abundantly. I am come that they might have life and they they might have it more abundantly. Mark, it says, uh, and he went up into the ship and the wind ceased. And they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure, beyond, you know, way. Well, here it says that the leaders are supposed to be what? Esteemed very highly in what? In love. In love, okay? We could just simply paraphrase that and say, have lots of love for your ministry. That's about the bottom line, what it says. Have lots of love for your ministry. But you say, why should I esteem my ministers so highly? They certainly are not worthy of it. Why, they are just human just like you and I. That's true. That's, that's true. But before we entertain such thoughts, too long, you know, with the sentence isn't finished. There is something in this that we have to consider. Why does it say that? Esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. That that. Worth there is we need to consider for your minister's work's sake. What does that mean? For their work's sake. That puts a total different perspective on why you should consider your ministers highly in love. Who called them? Did they one day decide they want to be your ministry and then they were called to the work? No, not at all. It brings another person into the equation, into the picture. God is not coming into the picture here. 
when it talks about the work's sake. How did these brethren, your leaders, come into position? It wasn't of their own choosing. What does Paul say about him being a minister? It says in 1 Titus 1.12, well, I want to just read that again. There are a few passages that talk or speak of this, but let me just read this for one. 1 Peter, no, 1 Timothy 1.12, it says, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Who put him into the ministry? He did. God did. Same as who put your leaders into the ministry. Call them among the brethren. They're there by God's design. So that whole thing of esteeming and love has to, has to do with God's purpose. And so do you understand that if, if a person starts resisting the ministry, they're in essence resisting God. See, that's something that we don't sometimes forget. Your respect and esteem for your leader is not based upon the person. It is not how they can perform, how well they can administrate, how well they can articulate and you know, express themselves. That's beside the point, how well they can preach. It has more to do with the calling, the work. The respect for the leaders in ministry in your church has its roots in the fact that God has called them with a special calling. It doesn't have its roots in the fact of how well they perform. Let's remember that. So it is a serious thing to despise and dishonor and work against God-ordained authority. I want to look at a few passages of scripture yet that verify that. You know the account back in Numbers 12 is the account where, I'll just make mention of this briefly in passing, is that is the account where Moses and no, Aaron and Miriam, they came to Moses and uh, what did they say? They talked against Moses anyway. And God was displeased. It says God heard it. Oh, it says, has he not spoken also by us? And God heard that. You know, they were, they were despising or discrediting Moses or they were saying, you know, we're all, we're all equal pretty much. God says in that account, Wherefore then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And we go down in the account, and it says that it was sin. An even clearer passage is in number 16, where we have the account of Korah, Datham, and Abiram. And we know the story. They gathered up a bunch of men, and they worked against Moses, it says, and they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and said unto them, Ye take too much upon you, seeing all the congregation are holy, even every one of them. What did God think of that action? It's clear what he thought about that. He says, well, we're going to find out. We're going to find out what's, what, who really is the leader and what God thinks of that disrespect. If we go on in the story, just reading a few verses, it says a few 
In verse 3 it says, uh, they gathered themselves against Moses and Aaron. Now in verse 11 it says, For which cause both thou and all thy company are gathered together against the Lord. If we, if we study that passage, it's really saying, in other words, if you oppose your leaders, you are opposing and working against God. That's the long and the short of it. That's what it says. And we see what God thinks of that. We know this story well. It brings upon, it brings the wrath of God upon, a, here in this case, a people. It mentions that God was wroth. It mentions in verse 46, uh, later on, it mentions his wrath. God is not happy with that. We could <clears throat> Moses was not self-appointed. He was called of God and he was God-ordained. Was he perfect? No, he wasn't. Yet he was God wanted respect. We could turn to other accounts in the scripture where where there was a proper response. I'll just give the accounts instead of turning them for the sake of time. There's in 1 Samuel 24 and in verse and in chapter 20, 1 Samuel 24 and 26. We have the accounts. I think the first one is where where Saul was pursuing David, and they were now in the cave, and cave and the David would have had the opportunity for him or to his men to kill him. And what did he say? How can I do this thing against the Lord's anointed? That's what he said. And again, then a couple chapters later, they were, the, he was being pursued and they were down there in the camp, Saul and all his people. And he, they snuck down there and they got the, what was it, a water jug and an arrow or a spear. And he was right there, his men, and they could have killed David or Saul. But he says, let me get that right. What does it say? Stretch not forth thine hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless. Numerous times, three times in that chapter, it talks about something about the Lord's anointed. And David said, I'm not going to do anything against the Lord's anointed. God can take care of that. So what I want to say is, you know, God has set up some authority structures. It doesn't matter. Is it in the home? We have verses like children obey your parents. It doesn't matter. It's in the government. We are to respect the government. It doesn't matter if it's the employer, employee. It talks about that in the Bible and in the church. God, wherever there are people, wherever there, there needs to be some authority, some structure, and God has arranged that. That's God's arrangement. If we, if we function and respect that, that's where God's blessing is. If we oppose it, it's the way of death. That is so clear in Scripture. In all areas of life, you start, just for instance, there is that verse in Proverbs 30, verse 17, I think. This is now not talking about church leaders, but just bring out the fact that, that there, when, a, when people, persons, Oppose authorities. You're on a path, not of, on a path of, not of life, but of death and punishment. But if there's respect, there's a life and blessing. We have this kind of a strange verse 
But it brings out that thought. Now this is talking about children and parents. The eye that mocks at his father and despises to obey his mother, the ravens of the valley shall pick it out and the young eagle shall eat it. What does that verse have to do with anything? What does that mean? What do the ravens and the eagles look for? That last part of the verse talks to me about the way of death. They look for dead things to feast on. And the first part of the verse, it talks about mocking and despising. I think it talks about if there, if, if any of you young people, let's put it this way, if you have a hard time taking anything off of your parents and you disrespect and mock them, you're on a path that will eventually lead to death. Ravens, eagles, eyes being picked out, that talks about something dead. Some of the same principle is true in, in other areas of life as well, in the church. God has a way of blessing. God has a way of, when we do things God's way, that's where the blessing is. So in this verse, that let's just go back to this verse here, read it again. We can... Follow that verse, and I encourage you to do that. That is where the blessing is. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. As I see that verse, there is... You as individual members have a big part to play in the... We could probably say the success or the failure of the church by your response to your ministry. Yeah. God's word isn't that hard or that complicated. It's, it's quite clear, but it's, what makes it difficult is for us to respond properly always the way that we should. That's the difficult part. And then for those that are in leadership, it's, you know, it's, we need to just be warned and reminded about a carefulness, about not being over, not being, not thinking that we have some, uh, you know, being, we have the last word or we have the final authority. And that, that's not the idea. The idea should be to be there to shepherd and do what is best for the flock. I would just encourage you as a congregation, you that are visitors, everyone, wherever you go, when you go home, you have a different set of ministers to respect than the ones here. Respect your ministers. You can make a big difference in the life, in their life, in their work. And it will have a, as that is done, and it affects the whole church, that will again somehow make it circle and come back and bless you. It will. So let's let's be let's do that and strive to be at peace. Let's pray.